Compassion, trust, courage, innovation. The values of Temecula Valley Hospital. We proudly present TVH Doc Talk. Here's Melanie Cole. A rotator cuff tear is a common cause of pain and disability among adults. According to the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, close to 2 million people in the United States went to their doctors because of a rotator cuff problem. My guest today is Dr. Andrew Ertman. He's an orthopedic surgeon with a subspecialty in sports medicine and a member of the medical staff at Temecula Valley Hospital. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ertman. Please tell us a little physiology. What's the rotator cuff? Thanks. Good morning. Uh, So uh, first, I guess I'll start by uh, just describing briefly what the shoulder joint um, is like. It's it's a ball and socket joint. Uh, The ball is the humeral head. And the socket is something called the glenoid, which is part of your shoulder blade. And the rotator cuff is really a synthesis of the capsule that surrounds this joint with uh, some tendons embedded within it. Uh, The tendons are of some specific muscles, four uh, in total, um, called the subscapularis, the supraspinatus, infraspinatus, and teres minor. And really the, the goal of these muscles is as you move your arm in space is to center the humeral head or the ball uh, into this shallow socket. Uh, they also provide some strength for moving your arm uh, in various uh, different uh, directions. Because the shoulder is such a complicated joint with so many movements, Dr. Ertman, tell us a little bit about how easily or what causes some of these issues and tears in the rotator cuff. So typically when you think about a tear in the rotator cuff, you break it down into two categories. Uh, there can be an acute tear, um, which you know could be from a traumatic uh, situation, such as a fall, uh, maybe with an outstretched arm trying to break your fall, or uh, a heavy object that's falling that you catch with an outstretched arm where it just overloads the tendon and it, and it can tear um, either you know in its mid-substance where the muscle is or where the tendon attaches to the muscle, or sometimes it can pull right off the bone. Uh, where it attaches on the uh, on the humeral head, uh, but more commonly, uh, these tears end up being more of a chronic uh, tear that's attritional in nature. It's degenerative over time, and as you get older, uh, it's actually a fairly common thing that happens. So, what are some of the symptoms? Because this is so common, especially in the older population. It seems like all of them have one rotator cuff tear or another, what are some of those red flags that would, sim- you know, that would signal that this is what's going on? Well, if you have the, the acute form of the injury, uh, you may you know, have a trauma, as I described above, and then uh, you may notice that there's some pain and weakness in the arm, uh, difficulty raising the arm up, uh, and that's uh, one big red flag. Uh, for the more chronic cuff tears, it becomes a lot harder because it's often on a spectrum where it starts to, you know, bother you, uh, sometimes only positionally or when you're trying to raise your arm uh, up in the air, you know, maybe to reach a glass in the cabinet, uh, and then tends to progress to the point where maybe you'll start having pain more often or pain waking you up at night in the shoulder. Uh, And then in its uh, most extreme form as the tear uh, becomes severe, you may notice that you're having a lot of trouble now even raising your arm up in the air, and sometimes it's not as much pain that holds you back at that point, but it's just pure weakness, um, of course, associated with some pain. Um, you may also start to notice a crunchy sound called crepitus uh, when, you, uh, move your sh- when you move your arm around. Um, but there are, you know, there are a number of tears that are actually asymptomatic as well. 
So, Dr. Ertman, do these tears heal themselves? So the tear, it's really hard for the tear to heal itself, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. Uh, Number one, the attritional tears, the tissue itself is sort of degenerative in nature. The quality of the tissue is not quite as good, um, and the blood supply is not quite as good. So those degenerative tears, they're really not going to heal on their own. Uh, And the acute tears, uh, they often don't either, and and the reason why a lot of times is because there's some tension uh, in the entire muscle tendon unit, and which, uh, which can cause the tendon to pull away from its attachment site a little bit. So it would be hard for it to heal back down without, uh, sometimes without uh, some intervention. But that doesn't always mean that it's going to become symptomatic or create disability. So what are the first line of defense? If someone comes to you with this shoulder pain, they have trouble putting on their jacket or they're feeling that nighttime pain when they lie on their side, what's the first thing you do for them? Uh, so the first line of defense, is always, you know, non-surgical for patients like this, unless it's an acute tear, especially in a younger person who had a perfect shoulder, and now they had this trauma, and all of a sudden they have, you know, pain and weakness moving their arm, and you, you know, you, you do some workup and find that there's a big rotator cuff tear. You know, those kinds of tears uh, you want to try to get to and repair sooner rather than later because that's good tissue, and the likelihood of that healing and restoring uh, good function to their shoulder is much greater. Uh, compared to leaving it alone and waiting. Um, For the more degenerative tears, there's uh, really no harm in starting with non-surgical therapy and trying uh, a combination of either Tylenol or anti-inflammatory medications. Physical therapy is very helpful for uh, helping to restore range of motion as well as to help them compensate for the tendon that is torn. You know, as I said, we we have four rotator cuff tendons. If one is torn, either partially or fully, Uh, you still have others that are still attached that we can strengthen uh, and attempt to compensate uh, for function that's been lost with physical therapy. Uh, Another intervention uh, that you can try, which is a little bit more invasive, is an injection, often uh, with corticosteroid, into the shoulder. Um, And this can help you initially, uh, especially in a patient who has a lot of pain, but the long-term benefits are uncertain with injections of corticosteroid. And uh, the effects on tissue are also a bit uncertain. So repeated injections uh, is really uh, a practice that's discouraged. How many is repeated injections that you say, that's enough, now we need to look at other interventions? So a number that's often thrown around is three to four injections per year for any joint. Uh, I'm not sure there's great science behind that recommendation. I've never found anyone uh, that was able to explain where that came from. Uh, we do know that some of the steroid medication remains in the joint because if we end up doing an arthroscopic surgery, we can see some of the crystallized uh, medication floating around in the joint or uh, covering the surfaces of the cartilage. But for a, for a rotator cuff tear, you know, if, if you try the conservative management, including, you know, the anti-inflammatories, the physical therapy, and you have an injection for pain, and then you come back a few months later and you're still you know, the the injection wore off, you're still having pain, you're just not making any progress, you know, you can try another injection, but, you know, and continue with the therapy exercises. But if it's still not working at that point, the chances of it working with a third injection to me seem slim to none. So, uh, you know, you can consider it if your uh, life situation um, is not good for, you know, more more advanced or... um, surgical-type treatments, but 
I would recommend stopping probably after that second injection. So then tell us what's involved with surgical intervention. If it gets to the point where these symptoms have lasted a while, they've tried the steroid injections and the other non-surgical interventions, what do you tell them about surgery for the rotator cuff? So if you have uh, something called a partial thickness tear, where the tear is not complete, so the tendon is not completely torn away from bone, but its attachment site uh, is partially torn off the bone, you know, and, and the pain just will not get better. And, and that's the, you know, the, the main thing that we would aim to treat is the pain. Uh, and it will not get better with any of the conservative measures that we mentioned. Sometimes uh, we can uh, do an arthroscopic debridement, which is a term that means sort of uh, cleaning up the torn end of the tendon and, and hopefully, you know, stimulating uh, some healing or scarring over at that site. Uh, sometimes uh, smoothing out some of the bone above the rotator cuff where a lot of the uh, wear and tear may be occurring on the rotator cuff from the overlying bursa and, and bone. Uh, and sometimes that helps people quite a bit. Uh, if you have a full thickness tear, so the tear is pulled all the way off the bone, uh, then that entails attempting to uh, repair the rotator cuff tendon back down to the bone using, uh, and oftentimes using uh, something called an anchor, which either comes in uh, a plastic form or uh, a metal form, and it has some suture attached to it, and you, you try to put that, you know, right in the footprint of the tendon, and then you use the suture to uh, tie it into the tendon and then advance that tendon back down to its native footprint. And, uh, and that's really what the repair is all about, trying to restore the anatomy. What's it like for the patient, doctor, after they've had surgery for their rotator cuff? Is there scar tissue that develops? Do they get range of motion back? So there's definitely scar tissue that develops because, you know, that's how our, our body heals uh, in most instances. Uh, so we don't, you know, perfectly regenerate tissue like a salamander would for their tail. So scar tissue does develop, and that's what uh, strengthens some of the repair. Um, but... What you can expect afterward is, you know, typically uh, the patients are in a sling for at least four to six weeks. Um, and, you know, for, I used to be a physical therapist, and when I was doing that, uh, it just seemed like people were coming out of their slings a little bit earlier. I think the trend now is uh, that people are staying in slings a little bit longer because we're nervous that these uh, tendons are going to re-tear, and so we try to give them uh, more time to heal. So typically at least four to six weeks in a sling if it's a really uh, massive tear, sometimes even longer. And then you can expect to uh, do some gentle range of motion exercises uh, earlier on, uh, but certainly no strengthening for at least three to four months. And, uh, you know, patients tend, if they have a decent range of motion before a surgery, they do tend to get a very functional range of motion back. You know, sometimes there's a little bit less than they had before, but uh, it tends to, they, they tend to get a very functional range of motion back, meaning they can do uh, most of the things they want to do. Um, but what I often tell people, and this is probably something I got from a combination of reading the literature and uh, some of the orthopedic surgeons that I've trained with, is that um, roughly the rotator cuff repair will heal, will heal at about 10% a month. Um, there's no great science behind this, but it's, it's an estimate. Everyone heals at a different rate, but that means that really it can take, you know, up to uh, 10 months to a year for this really to, to heal maximally, and patients have to be very careful in this time period. 
Do you have any advice for the golfers out there and the weekend warriors in possibly preventing rotator cuff issues? Uh, well, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to prevent when, uh, from the standpoint of tissue quality um, over time, but what you can do is obviously a good warm-up and stretching is always important. And for the weekend warrior, uh, you know, your muscles uh, can be trained to uh, deal with a certain amount of stress. And if you gradually train your muscles to do that and, you know, gradually increase the volume of your training or the intensity, uh, then they handle it a little bit better than someone who is a weekend warrior and goes out and really overdoes it uh, compared to what their normal activity is and then uh, really overloads all their muscles and tendons. So uh, just like all muscles and tendons in our body, uh, you know, staying in shape and, and training and and not just going out and overdoing it is really probably the mainstay of, of prevention. In just the last few minutes, what should people with rotator cuff tears think about when they're seeking care? Uh, well, number one, um, you know, they should think about uh, probably, you know, a good word of mouth referral to somebody is, is always a useful way to find, you know, uh, somebody to take care of your rotator cuff. Um, you know, a lot of times if it's not a traumatic tear, uh, like I mentioned before, a lot of times for those chronic uh, tears, uh, there's no harm in, in attempting the non-surgical treatment uh, as long as they understand, uh, you know, that it may not get better from that. And, uh, and if they choose to take the non-operative route, you know, there is a chance that it can become more symptomatic or the tear can progress, so they should probably have uh, some good follow-up. But uh, I think knowing that, you know, working with someone who has uh, that same concept of uh, how to treat it is probably a good start. Why should they come to Temecula Valley Hospital for their care? Well, I think, uh, you know, there, there are certainly good orthopedic surgeons that can, um, you know, handle uh, the, this rotator cuff problem and, and help these patients just as, as well as anybody else uh, in the area and in, for the patients that live uh, in the area, there's certainly no reason for them to travel outside of uh, the Temecula Valley area for care. Thank you so much for being with us today, Doctor. It's really great information. You're listening to TVH Doc Talk with Temecula Valley Hospital. For more information, you can go to TemeculaValleyHospital.com. That's TemeculaValleyHospital.com. Physicians are independent practitioners who are not employees or agents of Temecula Valley Hospital. The hospital shall not be liable for actions or treatments provided by physicians. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.